Good afternoon, JT Angstrom with Freight Waves here. With me today, I have a special guest, John Larkin, presently operating partner at Clarendon Group. Previous life, he was an investment banker at Stiefel and as well as an equity analyst just before that. His experiences are deep, vast in the transportation space, including stints as the CEO of Railworks and a banker at Alex Brown, as well as a multitude of other roles, including executive investor, advisor, student of the transportation industry. John, welcome. It's good to see you. It's good to see you, JT. Thanks for having me today. How are things down on the big day? Well, uh, pretty quiet. Uh, normally, it's a bustling city, but uh, everything is still closed. There's some talk that uh, the city may be opening up here in the next week or two. Yeah. And now you're known to uh, pound the pavement and uh, you know, be on the road a lot, uh, fly a lot, see clients a lot, constantly gaining new knowledge. What's it like transitioning to a work-from-home environment, given uh, how proactively you're always in front of the industry? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I've not flown since the week of March 10th, and uh, it was... Uh, Interesting that week, there are very few people flying. Um, I ate at a restaurant at the Cincinnati airport. I think there was one other person in the restaurant. It was an Outback Steakhouse. Uh, you could have played football in the concourse of uh, the airport. Uh, but since then, I've been locked down. And uh, instead of spending four hours to get to a city, an hour in a meeting, and four hours to get back, trying to do that uh type of work via telephone, which actually is a lot more efficient. That's right. Um, so uh, thank you for joining us today. The title of our talk is The Role of Private Equity in Trucking, Logistics, and Freight Tech Now, which is a subject that I know you have a deep wealth of knowledge on. I think it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. I think maybe to set the landscape a bit ahead of diving straight into private equity, maybe we, given your, your background, we could talk a little bit about the evolution of equity capital in transportation, broadly speaking, of which there's been a few stages, and you've played in all of them over the past few decades. I think that gives you a really unique perspective, which people would be interested to hear about. Yeah, I think uh, that, that's a very good question, uh, JT. Uh, you know, when, when the industry was deregulated in 1980, uh, there weren't uh, very many public trucking companies. And all of a sudden, you know, what, what really mattered was uh, cost and service. And there was a fellow up in uh, northwest Arkansas named uh, Johnny Brian Hunt who thought he uh, had a strategy for lower cost and better service. And uh, as he grew that business, when he re reached about $60 million in annual revenue, he thought it might be a good idea to buttress the balance sheet and uh did an IPO. Back in those days, uh, <clears throat> a lot of trucking companies were really viewed as growth companies. Uh, they had a, a strong position in the marketplace, better cost, perhaps better service or both, and that enabled them to grab uh, market share from some of the regulated carriers who existed uh, you know, just because of the ICC allowing them to exist. Their costs weren't very well managed, and their service was very erratic. So uh, it was it was really fun to watch uh, the industry emerge, really, uh, as we know it today, as a series of growth companies. 
And, uh, you know, I think I think J.B. Hunt really sort of led the way and they continue to lead the way today. They've done an awfully nice job morphing uh, as the industry has changed in focus. Uh, I would say that uh, we went through a secondary period of what I would call M&A, where you saw uh, companies uh, doing strategic acquisitions um, in trucking. Those uh, were very difficult uh, to integrate. Uh, because uh, the cultures were different, the systems were different, uh, the pay scales for drivers might have been different, the equipment philosophy may have been different. There are very few of those that really uh, worked out well. Uh, there are a couple uh, you could you could mention, like maybe a Landstar uh, could be a shining example, but most of them uh, failed. And then I, I think the third uh, uh, chapter of what I would call capital raising um, on Wall Street for trucking companies uh, emerged with uh, uh, private equity uh, really coming to the fore uh, with with all of the regulations around being a public company. Many companies decided it would be easier actually to have only one one group to answer to, and that would be the, the private equity firm. Um, as it turns out, private equity pretty quickly realized that EBITDA uh, was not all real for trucking companies because, particularly on the truckload side, there's a very large uh, need to replenish uh, the assets. Uh, you know, most of the, the tractor equipment is replaced every three, four, maybe five years. Trailers are replaced every eight, 10, 12 years. And that means that a lot of the EBITDA has to be reserved uh, to replace the equipment. And uh, if you put a lot of uh, what I would call LBO debt on a company, then uh, you, you find just how difficult it can be uh, being owned by private equity. So private equity kind of moved in the direction of investing primarily in asset-like companies, which don't have that uh, replacement CapEx demand. You know, all they have to do is really uh, fund their working capital growth, maybe some investment in technology. Then the last and, and current chapter that we're in now uh, really is the, the venture capital boom. And uh, we're seeing an awful lot of uh, money being invested in early stage companies, one of which uh, is Freightways, of course. But there are many others. Uh, a new one that I talked uh, to last week was Baton Trucking, uh, which has a really fascinating uh, story. You may have uh, met those folks, John. But, uh, you know, I think venture capital is saying that, gosh, here's an industry that really hasn't benefited from a lot of uh, technology. And maybe uh, now is the time uh, to take functions that previously were very archaic, involved a lot of people, a lot of phone calls, uh, faxing and other uh, laborious uh, functions. And let's see if we can automate uh, some or all of those and inject uh, some efficiency into our network, and uh, we're probably in uh, you know the top of the first inning of that venture capital era, and I think it's it's all very exciting when you look at some of the companies that are emerging. I think that's a great breakdown, and I, I really appreciate that, especially after having ex- had so many experiences with you personally along these lines, uh, and your depth of knowledge across each of these equity capital structures as a parlays to the cross section of all the different subsectors in transportation is incredibly deep. And, and given that, I'm interested to hear a little bit of commentary from you on what you see as 
um, some of the pros and cons of each of these capital structures for trucking, asset light, and then perhaps what I'll just call early stage, but maybe not necessarily freight tech. And some capital structures are better positioned for other sectors than others. Uh, and I know you've actually worked at the intersection of probably every combination, which gives you a very unique perspective. Yeah, the, the public market, interestingly, is a very unforgiving place to be. And uh, the reason for that is, is that uh, public company investors focus on earnings per share every quarter. And, uh, you know, if you, if you miss your earnings estimate by a couple of pennies, it, it could uh, create a 20% downdraft in the value of your stock. Um, so it, it's really not for the faint of heart. Um, if you are a true growth company um, and can use the capital raised in the public markets to drive additional growth, and I think uh, being a public company uh, is uh, a, a great way to go. But if there's any kind of cyclicality in your earnings stream, it, it can be very frustrating uh, when you go into a period of uh, freight recession or uh, economic recession or a period when the market is just out of favor. A lot of times the asset heavy uh, companies are the ones that get hit the worst. And we've seen that really over the last uh, probably 12 months or so where some of the uh, maybe less well-established uh, trucking companies have absolutely been hammered in the public marketplace. So, um, you know, I, I guess the public marketplace really today, perhaps unlike uh, the 80s, where there was more tolerance for smaller, less sophisticated companies, it really pays to be a big company with a very sophisticated financial reporting system, uh, full-time investor relations staff who can really control the message and uh, you know, deal with all the analysts and all the portfolio managers that you need to talk to so that the management team really can focus on operating the business. Uh, private equity has become uh, almost the de facto standard in the last uh, 10 years. And uh, management teams, uh, you know, can, can can seek private equity, perhaps with firms that have an expertise in their area, and uh, form really a, a partnership with that private equity firm to really drive accelerated value creation. Let's say over the next uh, five years or so, and if you're not. Uh, you know, interested in selling your business and squeezing the last dime out today, that type of partnership uh, can really be valuable. A lot of times uh, uh, executives who roll forward some of their equity end up uh, earning a, a much higher valuation on the equity they roll forward as opposed to the valuation perhaps they received at the time of the uh, private equity investment in the first place. So um, I, I think that's, that's a, a good way to think of private equity. If you're looking to squeeze the last cent out of the valuation of your, your company, you should uh, go out and hire an investment banker um, and, and run a, an auction and go out to your 500 closest friends. And uh, there will be someone who will pay top dollar for the company um, who's not really interested in you rolling any equity forward 
you know, will probably uh, replace you anyway as uh, an executive at the company and uh, really, really control that business uh, going forward. So, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, there are a couple of different flavors of ice cream here um, on the PE front. There's that partnership model. And then there's the, the sort of short-term value maximization model that I just mentioned. And then on the venture capital side, um, companies that are still uh, unprofitable with negative cash flow, with uh, cash burn rates that are sometimes uh, quite large, uh, have been very successfully tapping into uh, the venture capital community because the, the venture capitalists believe that as that company uh, really leverages its unique technology, typically gains market share, they will be able to, at some point in the future, turn on the spigot to drive free cash flow and, and get a, a, a strong valuation in either the public marketplace or the private equity marketplace. Uh, venture capital today is quite a bit different than it used to be uh, in that, <clears throat> you know, in the old days, you might raise a couple of million dollars um, in a seed round, maybe a couple million in an A round, maybe four or five million in a B round, and you'd be done and off on your way to profitability and positive uh, cash flow. Today, it seems to go on kind of forever. And um, some of the uh, investments made by uh, venture capitalists are, are extremely large, um, actually, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars at a clip. And uh, you, you sometimes scratch your head and wonder how these companies can actually put that much money to work. Uh, I mean, how many programmers can you hire? How much code can you write? And why isn't it a lot more differentiated than it appears to be, given all the money that's being poured into the, the development of the system? So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, fortunately, technology is coming into the industry at a much accelerated rate. And I think uh, those companies that uh, think they can continue to prosper by not uh, investing in technology are going to be uh, in, in rough shape within, say, three to five years. Uh, because I think within three to five years, uh, a lot of the decision making is going to be automated. Um, there are going to be a lot of optimization routines out there. And uh, if you're still making decisions with three by five cards and coffee cans, you know, good luck to you. Yeah, T cards, and and you and I have certainly experienced experienced the uh, the market making capability uh, in sell side transactions with respect to how many private equity investors will at least receive a confidential information memorandum in, in a world with so many private equity investors. How do you use your deep domain expertise and your ability to add value above and beyond just uh, capital to be able to help grow? both an operating company and equity value for the operating partners within the, that platform. I think that's really interesting commentary to hear from you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think <clears throat> most, most private equity firms are generalists. Uh, they work with uh, a whole variety of different types of companies, uh, maybe healthcare companies one day, technology companies the next, um, and they don't have the deep uh, domain uh, expertise uh, in transportation and logistics. And I think uh, that deep domain knowledge allows you to work hand in hand with management, perhaps to 
uh, introduce the company to new customers or new strategic partners that they hadn't been introduced to before, uh, to you know experiment with expense reduction strategies that maybe have been successful at other companies that the company you just invested in has not yet tried. Um, I think uh, you know one of the values that uh, private equity firms like uh, Clarendon can can add is to uh, find executives to round out uh, a C-suite that may be lacking uh, two or three key people to really build out a first-class management team so that that valuation three, four, and five years from now will be dramatically enhanced. So th- those are the sorts of things that we do. Uh, we also uh, work to uh, uh, help the uh, acquired company find a tuck-in and bolt-on acquisitions. Uh, most uh, uh, companies do not have dedicated M&A talent. So if you pick the right uh, private equity firm, they can be very helpful in identifying a very high-quality, uh, in many cases, proprietary bolt-on and tuck-in uh, acquisition opportunities, which is a way to, in many cases, create value at a very accelerated rate. I think that's great commentary. And now, <clears throat> for any operating companies thinking through their way to navigate their first or perhaps second private equity relationship, can you talk to us a little bit about any recommendations or uh, sage worldly advice you may have for them? Well, uh, you know, I, I think probably the way to come at that is to decide really whether you want to develop a partnership with a, a private equity firm or whether you want to achieve sort of a maximized valuation at the outset. And um, I think if you're looking to find a maximized evaluation at the outset, then it's probably best to hire an intermediary <clears throat> like an investment bank who can uh, you know, basically introduce you to a bevy of private equity firms, and then you can, uh, you know, perhaps pick the one who offers the highest valuation, or alternatively, uh, pick the one uh, that you tend to connect with culturally the best. I think that you could have the strongest relationship with because you're going to be working with these people for a long time. Um, If you're looking for uh, more of a industry-specific partnership, there aren't too many firms that specialize in just one industry. Okay, in, in the transportation logistics space, there's just a handful of uh, firms that really uh, focus on this space. And uh, without too much trouble, you ought to be able to identify who those are, maybe have a meeting with those folks and, and, and pick the one that you, you feel most comfortable with. Probably avoid uh, having to hire an investment banker as an intermediary to conduct an auction in that case. I think that's tremendous advice, and I think uh, the advice you can give to a lot of operators is absolutely uh, incredible, and uh, anyone who has the opportunity should seek it out. Um, So with that, we're running out of time, but it's great to see you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for all your advice, and thank you for your mentorship. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, John. Have a great day. Take care.